Hello and welcome to Connected by Life. I'm your host, Sean Paul Harrison. Connected by Life was created to have engaging conversations about important topics that impact physicians and our clinical stakeholders in regards to organ and tissue donation and transplantation. Today, our special guest is Dr. Angela Borg, a family practice physician with over 25 years of experience. I've known her for almost three years, and today we'll be discussing her unique connection to donation. Thank you for being here, Dr. Borg. Oh, no problem. Thanks for inviting me. It really is a privilege. I'm always excited when we get into the studio and we're talking about these stories, and, and today is, is, is nothing less than that. You know, I had the privilege, I was very blessed to meet you about three years ago uh, when I heard about your inspirational story, and uh, that's when you became a volunteer. And I don't want to jump ahead, but what I'd like to do is if you wouldn't mind exploring your background as a physician and your professional journey into the medical field. Sure. So I am a hometown family physician who's practiced for 25 years in New Iberia, Louisiana. And for the last 10 years, I also expanded into um, Delcom, Louisiana, about 20 minutes away from my primary practice and did that so that I could, you know, continue to treat patients and their family members in and around Acadiana. It's very intriguing to me when I found out or when others find out about what inspired them to become who they are. So what led you into that field? Being a family physician, it's, you know, every time you open an exam room door, the pa- it's a completely different patient with a completely different diagnosis. And one of the things that I've, you know, really um, benefited from and really have enjoyed as being a family physician is that all day long, you are, your role is constantly changing. You, you're a physician, but you're also a detective. You're a counselor, you're a pharmacist, you're a social worker, um, you know, and the, the list of job descriptions just goes on and on. So you're, you're, you're never bored. You never leave the office thinking, oh, I don't want to come back tomorrow. <laughs> Every day looks so, a little different, right? Exactly, exactly. And it keeps you on your toes. It keeps you thinking. It keeps you excited about you know, what the next patient might have as part of your, your journey with them. I mean, I guess also, too, you actually become a part of their family as well. True, true. And I, being from New Iberia, I not only saw people who, um, you know, were part of my life growing up, but then expanded into you know, their spouses, their parents, their children and grandchildren. So I felt like I had a, you know, a wide range of patients from, you know, attending, you know, at someone's uh, C-section and attending to the the baby when they were born, all the way to um, assisted living patients and nursing home patients and everything in between. Well, it's always great to get some background on, you know, the person themselves, but I know that we're here to talk about something that has a lot of meaning to many people, especially you and your family. And I wanted to kind of transition over to the part of, you know, a day where this looked a little bit differently. Sure. So 
a little over four years ago. I worked out that morning and saw patients throughout the day, went to a Kiwanis lunch. And at the lunch, I started just feeling not myself, feeling real weak. My husband drove me back to the office. And as the afternoon went, I just kept feeling weaker and weaker, kept monitoring my vitals. And um, my nurse actually called my doctor. <laughs> Even though I'm a doctor, um, I, I, I always was a patient and you know never treated myself. So uh, she called my doctor and kept reporting what was going on. And in the meantime, I continued caring for my patients. And by four o'clock that afternoon, for the last patient, I sat in the chair and the patient, you know, came to me and we finished up the exam. And then I um, had the conversation with my doctor who made some recommendations on some testing he wanted done. And before we could get much further than that, I went into complete heart failure. Wow. So after receiving that news, um, what were the next steps following that? So I had my husband drive me to the hospital. Fortunately, I wasn't far away. And we went through, you know, waiting in the emergency room for orders and getting admitted to the ICU, not really having a full diagnosis at that moment of what was going on other than, you know, me my heart rate getting faster and my blood pressure getting lower. And while waiting on that, um, my husband called the, the kids and said, we don't know what's going on, but mama's not feeling good and we'll keep you informed. And about three hours after that, he called them back and said that the heart doctor has um, put her on a life support machine and he's going to run some tests, put a pump in uh, her groin to keep her heart um, pumping stronger than it had been. And we're going to transfer me to Oshner's in New Orleans to um, get admitted to the heart failure team. So there was there was no previous diagnosis, no medical history prior to all of these things? Only thing was about a year before this, I was having a um, some PVCs and some sinus tachycardia. And um, my doctor, you know, ran some tests. He did an echo, even did a heart cath. Everything was fine. Sent me to the EP doctor in Lafayette. He did his testing and he said, I don't see anything, but just in case, you know, I'm going to put a defibrillator in. Hopefully you never need it. And turns out I, I ended up needing that defibrillator. Wow. <laughs> Uh, just before they, they had to take it out for the heart transplant, I needed it. And what was your mental state going through this as a physician and now you're becoming that patient? So, you know, stereotypical, you know, physicians are the worst patients. So is that hold true? For me, it's not. In fact, I, you know, I, I, my husband took my phone and my computer away and I was completely fine with that. I wasn't going to look up anything in any journals. I, you know, sat as the as the doctors were were discussing and telling me things, I you know sat. I took it in. I wrote some notes so that I could share it with my family when they would come by. Um, I definitely you know used my doctor knowledge in terms of listening 
to, you know, when, when, when the nurses are giving reports to one another or when the students, uh, the, the fellows, the cardiology fellows would come in and they would discuss amongst themselves without me, without realizing I was the physician. Um, but, you know, they would discuss lab results. And well, I wanted to yeah. ask you, that was, and I apologize for cutting you off, but sure. in, in listening like that, so you're listening as the physician and you have all this clinical knowledge you know, how did that impact you? Was it positive or negative? Because, you know, sometimes having a lot of information, it, it can, you know, cause us to uh, see or, or feel or even think things a lot differently. Sure. So my heart rate was already so fast. <laughs> and I, you know, I kept fearing that the defibrillator would go off because w- once you get kicked like that, um, and when they say that, you know, feel like you're against a brick wall and you're kicked by a horse, that's an understatement. So I, I wouldn't, I would try not to get overly excited when I, or, you know, nervous because I, I didn't want my heart rate to elevate. But I, I took in what they were saying and, you know, I felt comfortable. I felt peaceful knowing that they were addressing things that I wasn't thinking of. And also addressing things that were coming to mind as a, you know, as the primary care physician. I don't deal with heart failure, you know, to this extent, but it was so reassuring to me to not have to ask so many questions because it was being tended to. And that entire heart failure team and the whole transplant process, I felt that peace the entire time. Well, I have two things. One is I wanted to mention you're talking about the communication part of it because on several of our episodes in the past, communication has always been such a vital part of that discussion between the physician and the patient or the physician and the family. So it's good to hear you know that just being a continuum. The other thing is, too, I wanted to ask you, you're talking about transplant. So how much knowledge did you have or experience with donation did you have before your own personal experience with it? Well, you know, in 25 years of practice, I had a few patients who had transplant, but I was of the mindset. I had a lot of conversations about end of life care with patients and, you know, do not resuscitate orders and such. But transplant to me, that was the specialist. That was the doctors in the big city not little old New Iberia. That's that wasn't what I, you know, that wasn't something on my um, checklist to have to address with people. So when when I was, you know, extubated the first time, and my husband explained to me what took place, and that I was admitted for, you know, on a transplant service. Yeah, you know, it was it was overwhelming. Needless to say that, you know, this was something that uh, I'm glad the specialists were there to explain it all. And it, it, you know, it had me, it had me do a lot of rethinking of, you know, what role as the small town doctor I could have, would have, should have taken in the past 25 years with my, with my own patients. From like a personal level, how much of donation did you, did you know before? I mean, I know that a lot of times, you know, we talk about uh, if, if it's something that we would have wanted to do as far as for a donor, but you never think about needing a transplant. Right. You know, I had that I still have that red heart on, on my license. And I've you know, I heard of a few people in you know my city 
who had had transplant, but not to the degree where it's kind of like if you drive a red car, all of a sudden you notice everybody else has a red Jeep. (laughs) Well, that started to happen to where every day my parents would walk in the room or my husband would walk in and say, oh, I saw so-and-so from New Iberia. Their blank had a kidney transplant yesterday and they're on the other floor. You know, it's just like, yeah, all these red cars are just, you know, you're, you're becoming, you know, you're, you're realizing that it's much closer to, to your home and your situation than, than you, you ever realized. So can you give us a, a few details of the journey leading up to the heart transplant surgery? Like, you, you know, you're talking about the anticipation, you're talking about the preparation and then waiting for a suitable donor. Yes. And, you know, it, it, it's different than per se, if I would have had, you know, a gradual heart failure and would have had weeks, months, years of processing, you know, what what might happen, what to expect. This was so sudden that within being admitted to the hospital within three to four days, they had completed all of the pre-workup and, you know, said, I need to get on the, on the donor list. And I was like, okay, if that's what you're saying, you know, we're going to do it. And um, within two weeks of them coming in and saying, okay, notify your kids, you know, because tomorrow morning at 6 a.m., we're going to wheel you into the, to the OR. And so the, the best night's sleep I ever had was the night before the surgery, knowing that I was, you know, I was being blessed with, you know, such a gift and that I was going to be in, you know, these incredible medical hands and, you know, with, with, with all the prayers and support medically, spiritually, physically, that was the best night's sleep. My husband, on the other hand, said he didn't sleep for 21 days <laughs> until the surgery was over. <laughs> That's a loving husband. That's a loving husband. Yeah. He, he kept thinking that, you know, it would happen like, in a, like you'd see in a movie. And, you know, they come in in the middle of the night and say, you've got 10 minutes and, you know, say, you know, say goodbye and you might not see her again type thing. And so and then the nurses, you know, reminded him. That's kind of not how, you know, we need some time. We need to do our testing and, you know, make sure everything's compatible. So, yeah, he, he caught up on his sleep after the surgery was over. And I know in the, the next episode, you know, we're going to go into post-transplant. But when you're talking about that time that you just shared, because it was a, it was a very short amount of time, can you talk to us about how special that was? Because, you know, some people, you know, they wait an extended amount of time, or some people don't even receive that transplant. Sure. And, you know, the, the whole transplant team that they have of, you know, everyone from physicians, fellows, social workers, case managers, nurses, and such, you know, they, they all were on the same page in terms of remaining positive. And we fed off of that as a family. And from the get-go, there was no feeling sorry for me, getting upset, worrying about anything. It was, we're staying positive. You know, the, there, there's, you know, people who will be grieving through this process and, you know, we'll grieve at some point as well. But at that, you know, at that time we said, you know, we wanted, we want to make the process as smooth as possible and trust in the medical professionals who, you know, do this on a regular basis and 
they 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 did their thing and they did it right and we're very blessed for it so i really appreciate you sharing you know the beginning of this story it's it's a beautiful story and i'm so glad that you were here to be able to share it with us and i look forward to, to picking back up on it oh thank you so much i'm looking forward to telling you more as well all right thank you dr borg thank you Thanks for listening, and thank you for being someone that truly cares about organ and tissue donation. It matters. You can register as an organ, eye, and tissue donor anytime at registerme.org. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Connected by Life on your favorite podcast app. And remember... You're a light worker. Keep shining. This is a production of LOPA. The content in this podcast is intended for informational purposes only and not intended to substitute for professional medical advice. To read our full disclaimer, please visit our website. The Connected by Life podcast is hosted by myself, Sean Paul Harrison, Our executive producer is Kirsten Heinz. Our production assistant is Chandra Williams. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez.